Uh, as I've mentioned earlier, we're going to be starting um, a sermon series today on the book of Jonah. And so we're going to read the first chapter of Jonah this morning. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors, sailors were afraid and cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not. For the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But Jonah provided a great fish, or the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to turn your attention to the screen, I've got a short video that illustrates this chapter of the story of Jonah that we're going to be using through this sermon series. The Bible is filled with stories of God sending His special messengers called prophets, to cities filled with wicked people, warning them to change their ways or be punished for their sins. Of all the cities that received these warnings, Nineveh was one of the worst. So when the Lord called on Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach to the people there, he was terrified. Jonah was so scared that he decided to travel in the opposite direction of Nineveh. He went down to the port city of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping that Tarshish would be far enough away that he could escape from the Lord and his mission. While out to sea, the Lord sent a powerful wind, causing a violent storm that threatened to sink the ship. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors begged their gods for help, 
and threw the cargo overboard to help make the ship lighter and stay afloat. But below the ship's deck, Jonah slept peacefully until the captain found him. How can you at a time like this? the captain shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention and save our lives. The ship's crew wanted to know who had offended the gods, causing this terrible storm. So they cast lots. The lots revealed that Jonah was at fault. The crew demanded to know what Jonah had done to put them all in danger. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? They asked. Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Now, Jonah had already told the sailors that the purpose for his trip was to run away from the Lord. So when they found out who Jonah's God was, the sailors were terrified. What have you done? They asked Jonah. As the storm continued to get worse, they asked Jonah what they could do to him to bring an end to the storm. Jonah replied, Throw me into the sea, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. They didn't want to throw him overboard, fearing that Jonah may not survive, so they rowed even harder to get the ship to the land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Desperate for help, they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. I forgot a, a joy. Mary, what'd you get at that national gymnastics thing? Fourth in what, the nation? And what event? Trampoline? All right, Mary Hoalt was at nationals in Tulsa last weekend for gymnastics, and she got fourth in the nation. So congratulations, Mary. That's pretty cool. You can also see Mary share her skills. If you come watch Clovis Cheerleaders, she'll do her flips across the court. It's good to be here with you all this morning as we worship God and gather together. Um, I want to thank you for your flexibility and for your willingness the past couple of weeks. It's been a little different. Uh, we had Les Hall with us, uh, who is our presiding elder from the Global Methodist Church here a couple of weeks ago, who shared the message. And then he also talked a lot about you know, just afterwards, what it meant to be a part of the Global Methodist Church and the real focus on that ministry happens in the local church and on what you and I are doing and on the ways that we are able to connect in ministry and mission with our neighbors, with our community, with other uh, areas like Parrington and others that we're talking about. And so I hope that, that people were excited and, and enjoyed uh, his sharing and his presentation. Also last week, I just want to begin and, and thank everyone who made last weekend's Worship in the Park such a success. Uh, it takes teamwork to make that happen with moving a sound system, some tables, some chairs, uh, other equipment from the church, 
as well as uh, thank you to those who donated the meat, who brought vegetables, who cooked, who helped get everything arranged. Um, it was a great Sunday, I thought, of worship and fellowship, and I had a wonderful time, and I definitely think that it's something that, that we should look to do again. It was a great time for us to, to just come together as a church and as a church family to share with one another. Uh, this morning, we're going to be starting a new sermon series, as I've mentioned to you all, uh, where we're going to be going through the book of Jonah. And I hope that what we're going to see over the next four weeks is that Jonah is probably one of the most well-known books of the Bible, and also, in the same note, one of the least understood books of the Bible. And so as we look at this book of the Old Testament, it is my hope that we're going to see that Jonah is more than just a fishy tale about a man swallowed by a fish, but instead it's my hope that we are going to be able to see and be reminded about how in Jonah's story, God's love and God's grace and God's forgiveness was offered to the city of Nineveh by a prophet who felt like they didn't deserve any of it. And so I want to encourage you first over the next few weeks to sit down and read the entire book of this of the New Testament or of this book of the Old Testament. We're going to read it in worship each week, but I can promise you that it's a short read and it reads very quickly and easily. And my guess is that as we study this book, we are going to find that this book contains far more than our basic knowledge of the story, which I appreciate the way Missy, Missy got us thinking about it for the children's time. Because I think for most of us, our version of the story of Jonah is the children's book version, isn't it? You know, the illustrated book, the one you flip through, maybe the board book that you read to your children. And I looked in my office, and I can't believe I don't have one. Do we have one at home? Probably. Okay. Um... You know, and, and the board book version is Jonah's a prophet, Jonah gets a message, Jonah runs from God, Jonah gets swallowed by a fish, he gets spit up on the beach, then he goes to Nineveh and the story's over. And while the short story versions help us to uh, teach our children the Bible stories, sometimes they overlook parts of the Bible that you and I can read and we can study and we can think about that'll help us to deepen and grow in our faith together. And so I think that what we're going to see as we study the book of Jonah is there are some parts of this story that the children's version overlooks, and then there are other parts that can help us to see and can help us to grow in our understanding and in our reception of God's grace and of God's forgiveness. So let's begin this morning by taking a brief look at, at the background of this story. Jonah's just four chapters. The authorship of the story of Jonah is unknown. The title of this book comes from the main character, Jonah, who is a prophet, as I've mentioned. In this story, Jonah has been called by God to go to the Assyrian city of Nineveh. Here's kind of how artists envisioned Nineveh looking uh, back in those times. It was supposed to be a grand city, a great city. If you read the scripture, it says that it took three days for someone to walk across the city when they entered one gate and then walked across it to the other side. Jonah's supposed to go to the city of Nineveh sometime between 790 and 760 B.C. And so in terms of Middle Eastern history, this book of the, story of the Bible falls in a time when Israel has split between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom has been conquered by Assyria, and as part of the Assyrian Empire, this might have been one of their best times to have been part of a, con a, a conquered country. Because the yoke of the Assyrians was probably at its lightest. 
due to political unrest and due to maneuverings within the Assyrian monarchy. You know, like many countries, a king will be very powerful. A king will build and, and will conquer and will create an empire. And then if the king dies, the successor oftentimes is not um, able to keep up with, with the leadership and the attributes of his father. And so that's the story of Assyria during the, the time of Jonah. The Assyrian king, Shalmaneser III, if anyone wants to spell it, we'll give you a star, who was responsible for growing Assyria, he dies and his son comes, who was ill-prepared, and then his son dies and his grandson was just a young boy, and so his mother reigned as regent. And then they went through a succession of kings in a short time. And as you can imagine, whenever turmoil at the top happens... It allows for greater autonomy for other countries within this empire that are farther away from the capital city. And so Israel is far away from the capital city. And so Israel probably had a time of, of greater freedom under the Assyrians during the story of Jonah than probably they had during other times. This all stopped, though, when a king named Tiglath-Pileser III became king, and he was all king. So he started consolidating power. He started making sure that everyone that led the, the military was, you know, aligned with him and, and followed him. And then he also began to reach out into the rest of the empire to make sure that everything needed to be the way it was, and that included Israel. So that's a little bit of the history. If you read commentaries on Jonah, you're going to find that there are biblical scholars that believe that the story of Jonah is a mythical, just fictional work, similar to a parable that Jesus shared, or there are others that believe that Jonah was a real person who was sent by God to Nineveh with a real message. Boy, personally, I believe it's plausible that Jonah was a real person who went to a real city to share the Word of God. I think that's for two reasons. One, I believe that wherever the Word of God is involved in one's life, and if one is faithful in ministry, then the supernatural and miracles can and do occur. And so if we were to discount every portion in the Bible where something miraculous happened, how much Bible would we have left? Think about it. I also believe that God can and does work in ways that you and I can't explain. We all know of people who through the power of prayer and through the presence of God and, and whatever miraculous thing events have been healed of, of illness. We also know of, of events where things have happened that no one can explain except God. And that's okay. My thought on Jonah's story is further reinforced because Jesus uses the book of Jonah as a teaching in the Gospel of Matthew. And I don't think Jesus would have used the story of Jonah if it wasn't true. Because Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus is God. Jesus was God himself. And so why would he, why would he not use that which he knew to be true? And so in Matthew's Gospel, if you read Matthew 12, Jesus spends this whole teaching on comparing the people of Nineveh to the Pharisees and the legal experts. And so in Matthew... He basically says to the Pharisees and the legal experts, if Jonah could go to the heathen Gentile Ninevites and they repented of their sin after hearing the message, 
How in the world are you not changing your lives because you're listening to the Son of God himself? That's a rough paraphrase. There's a whole lot more there. But basically what Jesus is saying in the story of Jonah is if Nineveh could repent and change their ways, how could the Pharisees and legal experts not repent and change their ways? Because they had God himself standing before them and teaching, and they were witnessing his miracles and everything else that he was doing. There's one other reference to Jonah in the Old, in the Old Testament. In 2 Kings chapter 14, Jonah is listed by name as a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. In 2 Kings 14, Jeroboam II has become king of Israel, and as he has become king, he's working to turn Israel back from the idolatry of his father and from the kings that have gone before him. And so 2 Kings 14 reads, Jeroboam II recovered the territories of Israel between Lebo Hamath and the Dead Sea, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised through Jonah, the son of Amittai, from Gath Hefer. All right, so what does 2 Kings 14 tell us? It tells us that Jonah was a prophet to more than just Nineveh. It tells us that Jonah was a prophet to the, to the people of Israel and to the king of Israel. It also tells us that uh, jo Jonah served in the prophetic function for Jeroboam II. And then it also tells us where Jonah was from. If you look on the slide, the next slide shows where Jonah was from, I think. It's that green one. I'm probably off, Katie. It's fine. Uh, can you go the green one? All right. So there's where it is. The red dot you'll see to the left of the Sea of Galilee. So it tells us exactly where Jonah was from. And so it gives us a biblical anchor, right? A, a physical anchor where we can connect this man of the Bible, this prophet of the Bible, from where God wants us and, and brought him from. And so let's get to the story. In the story, we read what is perhaps the shortest prophecy in the entire book of the Old Testament. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come before me. Go to Nineveh, preach against it, its wickedness has come before me. Compared to the other prophets in the Old Testament, Jonah's message from God is considerably shorter, isn't it? Jonah was to go to this city of Nineveh. He was to preach against their wickedness. And God doesn't expand on what exactly uh, the sins or the wickedness that they were engaged in. Um, God just tells Jonah to go. Because wickedness was happening and God himself had heard about it. But the scripture tells us, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He ran away from the Lord. This prophet who had heard the word of God as he shared God's message with Jeroboam II has now decided that he doesn't want to go where God is sending him. So he decides to run away. As you can see from the map, Jonah chooses to go as far away as possible from Nineveh. I mean, that's as far in those times, right, earthly possible that you could travel. Because people didn't go beyond um, Europe into the Atlantic. And so he heads to the port city of Joppa. And he purchases passage on a ship to Tarshish. The ship set sail and the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break. 
And the sailors were afraid, and they all prayed to their different gods. They began to throw everything possible overboard. They did anything that they could to save the ship, but nothing was saving them. Nothing alleviated their fear. Nothing caused the the ship to be tossed about less. That is until the captain found Jonah downstairs asleep. And he woke him and said, get up and call on your God. Perhaps your God will save us. So Jonah came to the deck of the boat, and as the sailors cast lots to determine who was at fault, the lot fell on Jonah. And so Jonah told them that he was a Hebrew, and that he was the reason that the waves were getting stronger and stronger, the winds were getting uh, more and more turbulent. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. See, the next verse is what struck me as I read this part of the Bible. Because it says that the men on the ship did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew wilder than before. The sailors did their best to to preserve Jonah's life. They did their best by attempting to row to shore. They did their best, and and it was only when they determined that they had no other choice that they threw Jonah into the sea and, and the raging storm grew calm. And as the sea grew calm, the sailors offered a sacrifice of thanks to God. And the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights. So Jonah ran, he heard the message from God, and he ran. He heard the message of repentance that God had for Nineveh, and he went went away. He didn't want to go where God wanted him to go. He didn't want to take the message of repentance and the call of forgiveness to the Ninevites. Because Jonah had decided that the Ninevites did not deserve the opportunity for repentance and forgiveness that he knew would come with his message. I think Jonah knew that there was a possibility, if he's a prophet of God and and things are already happening as God has said they are going to happen, do you think Jonah ran because he thought to himself, I can't take the message to the Ninevites because what if they change their ways and God doesn't destroy them? I mean, isn't that like James and John when when Jesus and the disciples were walking and they said, you know, that that one town, I forgot which town off the top of my head, did not welcome Jesus, and so they left. And as they're walking away, James and John said, well, shouldn't we call down fire on them? I mean, I think that's kind of like Jonah right here. I think Jonah's saying, I think there's a real risk that the people of Nineveh are going to hear this message. And they're going to change their lives. And, well, we can't have that because the Ninevites are our enemies. They have conquered Israel. They are are ruling over us. And so rather than take that message, he decided to go away. And here's where I think we can learn from this. Friends, I don't know about you, but I think there's always a temptation for us to predetermine or prejudge how someone else is going to receive the message of God both in a good way and in a bad way. I think there's a temptation for us to predetermine how someone is going to receive the message of grace and of forgiveness or even the invitation of repentance that God places on all of us. And I know that there's a temptation for us to be like Jonah, to decide for ourselves on whether or not someone even gets to hear the message. 
Because we already think we know how they're going to receive it. And so like Jonah, there's a temptation for us to turn and to go the opposite way from where we know God is really calling us. I think sometimes it's because we don't want to go. And I think sometimes it's because we decide that, that someone just doesn't deserve the, rate, the grace that we know that God can give. But here's the thing, that's not our role, is it? Our role is to carry the gospel by our word and by our life into the world and in the lives of others. Our role is to live a faithful life in response to God's grace that he has offered to us through his son Jesus. Our role is to share the gospel by the way that we live and we speak and we interact with others. And it's not our role to be the judge of whether or not they deserve to hear the message. It's not our role to determine how they receive that message. And really, if you think about it, if we really think about it that way, it's freeing for us. Because the burden of them receiving the message doesn't have to be on your shoulders, does it? All I can do is share the gospel. All you can do is live the gospel and share the gospel. All we can do is do that together. And the burden is not on us on how other people receive it. Because, friends, our role is just to share it. And it's God's role through the power of the Holy Spirit to determine how it's received. I think too often we don't share the gospel. We don't share what God is doing in our lives. And maybe we don't even give God credit out of fear for how others will receive it. And here's the thing. We can't do that any longer. The only thing we can do is share. The only thing we can do is give evidence and proof of what and how God is doing in our lives. Because it's not on me for how someone receives the message of hope, the message of grace, and the message of repentance that is offered them by God. It's not on you. It's only our job is to share it and live it. And then how it's received doesn't fall on our shoulders. Because, friends, you can only be accountable for the way that you receive the grace and hope of Jesus in your life. We can only be accountable for sharing it. But how it's received, we're not accountable to that. Because that's not what God's called us to do. God's called us to share it. He's called us to offer it. He's called us to give it, but how it's received is not on you. And here's the crazy thing. If you look at our story this morning in First Jonah, or in Jonah chapter 1, if you looked at the end of the passage in ver chapter 1, verse 16, it says this. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. The men are the sailors. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Friends, what happens here? Do you see that even in running from God, Jonah led the sailors to believe in him? Even as he told them, at some point before the storm started, at some point he let them know what he was doing and why he was going to Tarshish? Something in that caused them to believe 
even as they told him, or even as he told them why he was running and as they cast him into the ocean. Friends, they saw the power of God and they believed. All because of a reluctant prophet who ran from Nineveh. 